It's good to see everyone out this evening. Appreciate your presence very much. A little change in the schedule, so I apologize for the change up. I'm actually the one that, that set up the schedule. It's pretty ironic that I'm the one that had to change it because I'm not going to be here next week when I was supposed to give this lesson. So bear with me. We're going to be on the 27th chapter of Acts, but we want to get the last few verses there, 26, that Tim covered last week. Uh, when, when Paul is giving his defense to King Agrippa. Acts 26 there, in verse, starting in verse 28, the Bible says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You almost persuade me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only you, but also all those who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except for these chains. When he had said these things, the king stood up as well as the governor and Bernice and those who sat with them. And when they had gone aside, they talked among themselves saying, this man is doing, is doing nothing deserving of death or chains. Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. But we know that was probably not the case, that, that if he had been set free, he would have been killed. And if he had not appealed to Caesar, they were wanting him to go to Jerusalem and be tried there where he, where he would be killed. Uh, and I think we all know that Paul's fervent desire was to go to Rome and preach. Tim covered last week in the 23rd chapter where Jesus told Paul that you will testify of me in Rome as you, as you have in Jerusalem. And so his fervent desire was to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Romans 1, this was Roman, uh, the book of, the, of Romans was written a few years earlier, and he said there in the salutation at the beginning of Romans, Romans 1 verse 8, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the, the whole world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, <clears throat> that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you for I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts so that you may be established that is that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me now I do not want you to be unaware brethren that I often planned to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also just as among other Gentiles. So this is how he starts the book, and it's ironic, and in the 15th chapter, at the very end of that book, he reiterates this desire. He said there in verse 28, therefore, when I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I shall go by way of you to Spain. He fully planned on going there. Verse 29, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those in Judea who do not believe, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. So his fervent desire for years had been to go to Rome and preach the gospel and then in the 23rd chapter of Acts, Christ appeared to him in a dream and said, you will testify of me in Rome. Well, it's two plus years later 
since he had been incarcerated, two years that he went through imprisonment. And then Portius Festus uh, takes over and extends that and goes on and on in uh, a considerable length of time. And then Agrippa comes to town and he's tried again for, as a courtesy uh, to Agrippa, uh, hoping to find something he could even write a letter to Caesar about, as Tim covered last week. So here we get to Acts the 27th chapter and he's actually going to Rome. Two years later, in chains. Not exactly the way he thought, certainly not how we would consider uh, the fulfillment of that uh, prayer request. Uh, he was going in chains, but he would go to preach the gospel. So that brings us to Acts 27, Paul's voyage to Rome, and a number of things came together. It's so ironic. Uh, shows God's providence that all these things came together over a two-year period of time to grant Paul's request to preach the gospel. Uh, the murderous plot of the Jews combined with the feet of uh, greed of Felix, he wanted, to, he wanted to bribe. The cowardly indecision of Festus wanting to please the Jews and all those things com combined with the character of Paul and an ancient... Uh, Roman law protecting the rights of their citizens, and Paul used that opportunity. He didn't say, Jesus promised me I would go, so I don't have to do anything. I mean, he still took it upon himself to make that appeal. So all these things combined over a, over a course of two years to fulfill the promise of God in answer to a prayer. So looking back, we can, we can see the providence of God in this. So keep in mind a, a few facts uh, as we go in and as we start this voyage. This is the, the best historical account of an ancient sea voyage uh, anywhere in, in history. Um, eyewitness account, detailed, factual, and, and the physician Luke who wrote this was so detailed in every aspect of it, they would get a Historians could go back and find a little bit from this account or a little bit from that one, but, but it was all uh, made possible and, and understood because of Luke's writing here uh, in this book. And we also need to understand that it was mandatory to get off the high seas in the winter. Uh, from about the 15th of September till about the 15th of April, you could not navigate the high seas. These small uh, ancient vessels were not equipped for that. They could not handle the high seas and the, and the tempest. So they tried to get off of it from about, uh, from September 15 to roughly uh, March, I said, I mean, I said April, but March 15, a six month period of time there. Because it was nearly impossible for them to navigate the high seas in the winter. So, we've got a little background and some things going on, so let's start there in verse one, Acts 27. And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. So Paul is, is traveling with other prisoners, and these prisoners going to Rome was not necessarily good news. A lot of them were for the Colosseum. A lot of them were uh, going there to have death sentences carried out for the entertainment of Caesar. 
And this uh, Julius, this centurion who was very kind to Paul, uh, is of the Augustan band. That's Augustus Caesar. So he was attached to Caesar himself and was actually returning home, him and this garrison that was with him. Verse 2, so entering a ship of Adramidium, <clears throat> we put to sea, meaning to sail along the coasts of Asia. Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. So there was a group, Aristarchus, and he's mentioned in other, in other scriptures of being a, a fellow prisoner, being a companion, travel companion of Paul. And there, it's, uh, it's assumed that there were a few in this group. Verse 3, and the next day we landed at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. Uh, when, they had, and when they had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. As we'll find out shortly, this was after the Day of Atonement. So this was late September, uh, even early, uh, early October. So it was time to be off the seas, and they went ahead and tried it. And if we look at, at maps, this probably won't be as good as, as yours, Justin, but we have some maps tonight. Uh, you can see they left Caesarea, went up to Sidon, staying close to, the, to, close to the shore. But it was with difficulty that they got that far, back up just a little bit. They sailed under the shelter of Cyprus, it says there, because the winds were contrary. So you can see how they sailed around Cyprus, so apparently the, the winds were out of the, out of the west. And it kept them close to shore. And it tells us that, that they wanted to go to I won't try to go in this pointer. Uh, there it is. They were wanting to go to, uh, where am I at here? Oh, okay. Remember what it said. I gotta go back. All right, let's continue reading and maybe it'll tell us some more about the map. Verse five, and when, he had, when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city in, Luc in Lycia. There the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy and he put us on board. When we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty in Canidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So they made this route here under the coast of Cyprus, wanting to go straight across to Asia here, but because of the prevailing winds, so they're already encountering, encountering a lot of, lot of trouble. Many days, it said, then from Myra on up to Nidus, and then they came down again, not being able to, to fight the winds, came down to Salmone and ended up at this little place called Fair Havens. By this time, we've got a couple of weeks into October. This is, uh, it said many days there, so it's, it's time to be off of the high seas. Verse 9, now when much time has been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, that's the Day of Atonement, that's the 24th, 25th of, uh, of September, that was gone and much time had been spent, Paul advised them saying, men I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss not only of the cargo and the ship, but also our lives. He's warning them, it's time to, and they knew that. This was not news to them. Okay, continuing on. 
Verse 11, nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken of Paul. So the centurion is in charge of this boat. He wasn't the owner. He wasn't the captain. He wasn't the helmsman. But he commandeered this boat, and he was in charge, and he, he was asking them their opinion, undoubtedly, but it was still, it, he was in charge. <clears throat> and uh, verse 12, and because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, this is where they're at there at Fairhaven, said it was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail from there also. If by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete opening toward the southwest and northwest and winter there. So they're just going to try to make this little jump. I've blown the map up a little bit to go here from Fairhavens up to Phoenix. Now that could still be 60 or 70 miles, but you notice they even stayed next to land until they were caught. I don't know whether there weren't uh, good accommodations there in Fairhavens, uh, whether they would have to spend all their time on the ship uh, whether there wasn't big enough town, but they wanted desperately wanted to go on up to Phoenix and winter there. They know it was, knew it was time to get off of the high seas. So back to verse 13. When the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. We already saw that where they stayed close to the island of Crete. Verse 14, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurachlodon. Historians t tell us that this Eurachlodon, it's translated other things in other translations, uh, but it's basically a hurricane force wind that also swirls like a hurricane, and those are still fairly common in the eastern Mediterranean Sea. Verse 15, so when the ship was caught and, and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. That's got to be a frightening scenario just to take the sails down and let the wind push them where they weigh, where they would. Verse 16, and running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. Now, a skiff was a lifeboat, and if there's one thing you don't want to lose in the middle of the high seas is your lifeboat. Now, there's 267, I think, people on board so I don't know how they're going to get everybody in that skiff anyway, but it sure helps your odds. Um, they secured this skiff with difficulty. Verse 17, when they had taken it on board, so they, normally the skiff is trailing behind the boat with a rope, and they managed to get it pulled in when they got some shelter from this island, Clauda. Uh, and they used cables to, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship fearing lest they should run aground on the Sirtis sands, they struck sail and were so driven. That struck sail means taking down the last of the sails, uh, striking them and letting it go. A few of the details there. So they left here staying close to the shore, trying to get to Phoenix, and it pushed them out. And the way the wind was swirling, uh, some of the maps show them going like this but they were concerned about the sands of Sirtis. Sir, uh, quicksand, muds, Sirtis goes, Sirtis Major and Minor, all the way for hundreds of miles on the northern coast of Africa. And if they got shipwrecked in there, it was mud during low tide. 
and then you're stuck. And then when the high tide came in, it turned to quicksand and, and ships were lost. And then the men have hundreds of miles to walk across desert sands to try to get to anyone. It was a death sentence to be caught in these uh, sands of Sirtis, they call this through here. So they're being tossed to and fro in this open sea because this, as bad as this part of the voyage was and as long as it was, now they were crossing open ocean. Back to our text, verse 18. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So even the slaves now and the condemned prisoners were throwing stuff over the, over the side. On the third day, verse 19, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. So the heaviest things they were throwing aboard, throwing overboard. Now when, the sun, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. It's days and days of this and the, the wind beating on them and no hope in sight and you're throwing stuff over the edge. And keep in mind, this is a larger ship. This Alexandrian ship that they changed to was a bigger ship, but as we'll find out later, it was a cargo ship with wheat on it. And wheat, uh, especially if they don't have some buffers or uh, some balloons in there type things to keep it from shifting is very bad to shift in high seas. So it was uh, a very, very difficult. And it added to the rocking of the ship. Verse 21, but after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. So the ship was going to be lost. Verse 23, for there stood by me this night an angel of, the, of God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. Paul, you must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God that it will be just as it was told me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. So he's telling them it's going to get bad, it's going to continue to get bad, and we're actually going to be shipwrecked. But you're all going to be lost. The ship will, you're all going to be saved. The ship will be lost. It brought, it reminded me of how often we see people blessed who are not righteous people, who are not God-fearing people, who are blessed because they are with God-fearing people or they're in the family with God-fearing people. Paul uh, tells us here in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 12, but to the rest I, not the Lord, say. So this is just common sense, not scripture, not inspired. It's just common sense. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she is willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. And a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he is willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but now they're holy. We see all the time people, unbelievers, who are blessed because they are nearby or in the company or in the family of believers. We have individual family members who who are rebellious for whatever reason, but they still receive the blessings of those who are close to them 
because those people are righteous. And that's certainly the case here. All these men were saved because of the righteous character of Paul and because of his faithfulness. And they were blessed by that. Back to our text there in Acts 27, verse 27. Now when the 14th night had come, that was the 14th night since they had left Crete. Uh, when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. So they were concerned at one time about the sands of Cyprus being washed on the north shore of, of uh, Africa. But now then, the Adriatic Sea, that's up between Greece and Rome, between Greece and Italy, and the Adriatic Sea. So they are literally uh, sawtoothing and whipsawing all over. And that Eurocladon, that hurricane force wind, it's hurricane-like in that the wind comes from different directions. So they were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. Now, fathom is six feet, so that's 120 feet deep. In the middle of the Mediterranean Ocean, that's shallow. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. So that's 90 feet. So they're getting more and more shallow all the time. Verse 29, then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks when, when you don't have anything to navigate by, you don't have your sails up, you tied, we find out later they had actually tied the rudder cables and trying to keep them from getting beat up. Um, there's no way to steer and they're coming in fast on, on land. There's a real good chance you're just gonna be crashed, crashing on the rocks. Fearing they should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern, that's the back of the boat, and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff, so they had let down this lifeboat into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors on the bow. They had put out four anchors on the stern, on the back of the boat. Now this prow, it's actually the bow of the boat, they were under... Uh, they were pretending to put out anchors on the bow. They were actually letting this uh, skiff down to try to leave them all there to die. But Paul sees that and he said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. So they don't know for sure that they're gonna hit land but they sure weren't going to let the, the, the sailors go and leave them high and dry. So they cut the ropes on the lifeboat and let it fall off. Verse 33, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day since you've waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he, had heard, when he had said these things, he took bread, gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. In all, we were 276 persons on the ship. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. And when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay on the beach. So they saw land, it just wasn't one they were familiar with. They didn't recognize it, but they saw a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. And they let go the anchors 
So they cut the ropes for the four anchors that they had dropped on the stern of the ship. And then they, uh, they let go of the anchors, verse 40, and left them in the sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. So apparently this mainsail was a small sail that could be used temporarily because they had taken everything else down. But they put up this small sail called a mainsail out in front and they used it and then used the rudders with the mainsail to get some kind of steering and kind of head them in the direction that they wanted to go. And if those sailors had not been there and knowing to do that, if they had successfully escaped, the whole, everyone would have been lost who didn't get on that boat because no one else would know how to do these things to, to, uh, to guide that ship to the beach. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow, that's the bow of the boat, stuck fast and remained unmovable. But the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So now the soldiers are going to try to get out because if any of those prisoners escaped, it was a death sentence for them. Verse 42 tells us the soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land, and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. So that, and so it was that they all escaped safely to dry land. An incredible voyage that he made. Not exactly how he planned on going to Rome, I'm sure, when he was promised Jesus himself promised him that you will testify of me in Rome. An incredible, incredible voyage. We find, I didn't, I guess I skipped over that, but there was at one time when they even had these cables around the boat. And historians tell us that they were strapped to the boat and they could attach cables to the top of that to reinforce the hull of the boat with this terrible beating they took over and for day after day after day said the sun didn't shine, the moon didn't shine, the stars didn't shine. Uh, quite a voyage he took to Rome. Especially when we consider what he had said there in Romans 15, when he said, but I know that when I come to you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. Indeed, he did come to them in the fullness of the blessings of the gospel of Christ. But he was enchained. He was in chains, and he was chained to a guard, uh, to to a soldier. But every few hours they changed the guard, and that was a another person he could preach the gospel to. So look forward to uh, to the twenty eighth chapter in a couple of weeks. That's our study this evening. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed this. Uh, uh, done some of these in the past and it's always enjoyable to me. Hopefully it's been something you can use and been edifying to you. We'd like to close now with an invitation to anyone that has a gospel need. If there's a gospel subject in the audience, we'd ask you to come forward and let your wishes be known as we stand and sing. <laughs>